Chapter Twenty Five of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Hayward Brown. The Young Pessimists. Bert Williams used to tell a story about a man on a lonely road at night who suddenly saw a ghost come out of the forest and begin to follow him. The man walked faster, and the ghost increased his pace. Then the man broke into a run, with the ghost right on his heels. Mile after mile, faster and faster, they went until at last the man dropped at the side of the road, exhausted. The ghost perched beside him on a large rock and boomed. That was quite a run we had. Yes, guessed the man, and as soon as I get my breath back, we're going to have another one. Our young American pessimists see man at the moment he drops beside the road, and without further investigation, decide that is all up with him. To be sure, they may not be very far wrong in the ultimate fate of man, but at least they anticipate his end. They do not stick with him until the finish, and the second wind flight, however useless, is something so characteristic of life that it belongs in the record. I have at least a sneaking suspicion that now and again there happens along a runner so staunch and courageous that he keeps up the fight until the cock crow and thus escapes all the apparitions which would overthrow him. Of course, it is a long shot, and the young pessimists are much too logical to wait for such miraculous chances. As a matter of fact, they don't call themselves pessimists, but prefer to be known as rationalists, realists, or some such name which carries with it the hint of wisdom. And they are wise up to the very point of believing only the things they have seen. However, I am not sure they are quite so wise when they go a notch beyond this and assert roundly that everything which they have seen is true. For my own part, I don't believe that white rabbits are actually born in high hats. The truth is quicker than the eye, but it is hardly possible to make any person with fresh young sight believe that. Question the validity of some character in a play or book by a young rationalist, and he will invariably reply, why she lived right in our town, and he will upon request supply name, address, and telephone number to confound the doubters. Let the captious be sure they know their Emmas as well as I do before they tell me how she should act, wrote Eugene O'Neill when somebody objected that the heroine of Different was not true. This, of course, shifts the scope of the inquiry to the question, how well does O'Neill know his Emmas? Indeed, how well does any bitter-end rationalist know anybody? Once upon a time, we lived in a simple age, in which when a man said, I'm going to kick you downstairs because I don't like you, and then did it, there was not a shadow of doubt in the mind of the person at the foot of the stairs that he had come upon an enemy. All that is changed now. During the war, for instance, George Sylvester Verick wrote a book to prove that every time Roosevelt said, Verick is an undesirable citizen, or words to that effect, he was simply dissembling an admiration so great that it was shot through and through with ambivalent outbursts of hatred. Mr. Virick may not have proved his case, but he did, at least, put his relations into debatable ground by shifting from Philip Conscious to Philip Subconscious. In the new world of the psychoanalysts, 
there is confusion for the rationalist even though he is dealing with something so inferentially logical as a science for here with all its tangible symbols is a science which deals with things which cannot be seen or heard or touched and much of all the truth in the world lies in just such dim dominions the pessimist is very apt to be stopped at the border for years he has reproached the optimist with the charge that he lived by dreams rather than realities now wise men have come forward to say that the key to all the most important things in life lies in dreams. Of course, the poets have known that for years, but nobody paid any attention to them because they only felt it and offered no papers to the medical journals. It would be unfair to suggest that no dreamer is a pessimist. The most prolific period of pessimism comes at 21 or thereabouts, when the first attempt is made to translate dreams into reality an attempt by a person not over-skillful in either language. Often it is made in college, where a new freedom inspires a somewhat sudden and wholesale attempt to put every vision to the test. Along about this time, the young man finds that the romanticists have lied to him about love, and he bounces all the way back to Strindberg. Maybe he gets drunk for the first time, and learns that every English author from Shakespeare to Dickens has vastly overrated it, for literary effect. He follows the formula of Falstaff, and instead of achieving a roaring joviality, he goes to sleep. Personally, tobacco sent me into a deep pessimism when I first took it up in a serious way. Huck's corn-cob pipe had always seemed to me one of the most persuasive symbols of true enjoyment. It seemed to me that life could hold nothing more ideal than to float down the Mississippi blowing rings. After six months of experimenting, I was ready to believe that maybe the Mississippi wasn't so much either. Around this time, also, the young man generally discovers, in compulsory chapel, that the average minister is a dull preacher, and of course that knocks all the theories of the immortality of the soul right on the head. He may even have come to college with a thirst for knowledge and a faith in its exciting quality, only to have these emotions ooze away during the second month of introductory lectures on anthropology. Accordingly, it is not surprising to find F. Scott Fitzgerald's Amory Blaine looking at the towers of Princeton and musing, Here was a new generation, shouting the old cries, learning the old creeds through a reverie of long days and nights, destined finally to go out into that dirty gray turmoil, to follow love and pride, a new generation dedicated more than the last to the fear of poverty and the worship of success, grown up to find all gods dead, all wars fought, all faiths in man shaken. Nobody wrote as well as that in Copeland's chorus at Harvard, but there was a pretty general agreement that life, or rather life, was a sham and a delusion. This was expressed in poems lamenting the fact that the oceans and the mountains were going to go on, and the writer wouldn't. Generally, he didn't give the oceans or the mountains very long either. All the short stories were about murder and madness. We cut our patterns into very definite conclusions, because we were pessimists and sure of ourselves. It was the most logical of philosophies, and disposed of all loose ends. One of my pieces, to polish off a theme on the futility of human wishes, was about a man who went stark raving and Copeland sat in his chair and groaned and moaned, 
which was his substitute for making little marks in red ink. He had been reading Sheridan's The Critic to the class with the scene in which the two faithless Spanish lovers and the two nieces and the two uncles all try to kill each other at the same time, and are thus thrown into the most terrific stalemate, until the author's ingenious contrivance of a beef-eater who cries, "'Drop your weapons in the Queen's name!' At any rate, when I had finished, the little man ceased groaning and shook his head about my story of the man who went mad. "'Brown,' he said, "'try to solve your problems without recourse to death, madness, or any other beef-eater in the Queen's name.' And it seems to me that the young pessimists, generally speaking, have allowed themselves to be bound in a formula as tight as that which ever afflicted any Pollyanna. It isn't the somberness with which they imbue life which arouses our protest so much as the regularity. They paint life not only as a fake fight in which only one result is possible, but they make it again and again the self-same fight. End Chapter 25